0: We're going to begin with our theme verse this morning. Our theme verse is Colossians chapter 1 verses 16 through 18. Let's say this together. Ready? For by Him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by Him and for Him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. Remember, it's Jesus first. That's our theme this summer. Let's join together as we get ready to sing this morning.
1: Acts chapter 4, 10 through 12 says, Be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him, doth this man stand here before you whole. This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which is become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved.
0: All right, let's take our Bibles to Colossians chapter 1, please. Colossians Chapter 1, and today's text is verses 21 through 29, as we work our way uh, verse by verse through the book of Colossians. So, Colossians 1, 21 through 29, and just as we began our service, quoting our theme verses, verses 16 through 18, we're reminded that the theme of the book of Colossians and the theme that we're Focused on as we journey through it is that Jesus is first. And it's that word at the end of verse number 18 that's where it leads up. It says, In all things he might have the preeminence. The preeminence. And that's uh, the, the idea that before all things, Jesus comes first. So let's pick it up today and let's read in verse number 21 as we look at the passage today. We'll read all nine verses this morning. It says, in Colossians 1, 21 through 29, I don't know if we, do we have the text today or we're not sure. So if not, just look at your Bible, hopefully you have a copy of the scriptures with you anyway. So Colossians 1, 21 through 29, and you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. If ye continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel which ye have heard, and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister, who now rejoice in my sufferings for you, and fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake, which is the church, whereof I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God which is given t- to me for you, to fulfill the word of God, even the mystery which hath been hid from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints, to whom God would make known what is the riches. "...of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, whom we preach, warning every man, and teaching every man in all wisdom, that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Whereunto I also labor, striving according to his working which worketh in me mightily. Would you join me in prayer? Lord, I pray that you would help the message to come out clearly today. I pray that you would help the scriptures to take the first uh, place in our attention. I pray that you'd help me to explain what the Bible says, and for uh, we, for us, the church, that we would apply in the different ways uniquely to our situation. Again, thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I want to talk to you today about a Jesus-first future. So as we've gone through this and we've seen the different emphases in this chapter, we began with the overall theme, which is Jesus in first place. And then in the first uh, nine verses, we looked at a Jesus-first church. What does a church look like that puts Jesus first? And then last week, we looked at, well, what uh, what, what is Jesus first in a more personal way? But this week I want to think about the future. And I've had several conversations with different people about the future recently. And it's that time of year where we have some high school graduates in our church, we have some college graduates, we have people that are entering next phases of their life and people think a lot or they ask the question, what does the future hold? Or what are your plans for the future? How many of you have some plans for the future? Who's got some plans for the future? Anybody out there? Yeah. Maybe you got some big plans. Maybe you're just like, well, you know what, I'm just working it one day at a time and that's okay too. But we all tend to have some plans for the future. We think, well, um, someday I'm not going to work at this job anymore. Is anybody that part of your plan in your life, right? Someday I won't be doing this anymore, or someday I'm going to buy this, or someday, someday I'm going to go there. Someday I'm, I've got these plans for the future, and it's healthy. It's it's a normal part of our life. We should be people that are planning and thinking ahead. But did you realize, and you and, some of you are aware of this, but we're going to, probably all of you are aware of this, but we're going to kind of just think about it today, that Jesus has a plan for your future. And now before you, just, before you just run to the ultimate conclusion there, which is, yes, Jesus has a plan for our future home in heaven. Absolutely. That is the ultimate, and that's a great future, wouldn't you agree? That's, that's where this all is heading if we know Christ. But there's a little bit more to it, and this talks all about the future and that future day that we're looking for. So you say, okay, well, if Jesus has a plan for my future, what does that have to do with me today? Well, the simple application question I'd like us to think about is this, do my plans for the future align with Jesus' plans for my future? Are the things that I am going after? Are the things that I am putting as goals and objectives? Do those line up? Do those match up with what the scriptures say, Jesus has planned for me in the future? Well, let's look at the passage and let's get uh, some insight on this. I'd like you to notice this. The first thing about the future for the believer is found in verse number 21. Look with me. Focus again at verse 21. You'll notice that what happens here is there's a progression from past to present to future. Jesse, I don't know if you can help me out, but I got just a little ring up here. I don't know if everybody's hearing it, but it's going to drive me nuts. So uh, verse number 21, we're going to see we go from past to present to future. So it says here, and you, now where's the past? What's the phrase that shows us the past? Past tense, the first past tense word is what? We're back to grammar class now. You're like, oh, I didn't come prepared for this today. I wasn't ready for this. What's the first past word here? You that were. were. This is past tense. There was a time when you were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works. Yet, where's the present word? Yet now hath he reconciled. Verse 22 says, verse number 22 in the body of his flesh, um, in the body of his flesh, through death. Now look at the future. Where's the future? To present you, to present you. So it says, in the body of his flesh through death, to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. Can we get verse number twenty-two on the screen real quick? And verse number 22 says, "...in the body of his flesh through death to present you..." So wait a minute. Jesus has a future plan for me. Jesus' future plan for me is what? In simple words here, what is his future plan for me? Does it have anything to do with money? Does it have anything to do with where I'm going to live? Well, I guess it kind of does. But not on this earth. Does it have anything to do with... uh, Does it have anything to do with the things that typically we think about in the future? Not really. Jesus' plan for us at the end is to do what with us? To what? To present us. Now, does that seem a little abstract to you, maybe? Like, what do you mean Jesus is going to present us? How is Jesus going to present us? To whom is Jesus going to present us? To who? I heard somebody say it. To the Father. So can you, can you imagine this? This is the scene. This is what all of your life as a Christian is leading up to. There is a real, literal day coming where Jesus will take you and will bring you to the Father and will say, this is my child. This is my child. Now, it just seems, it's just so hard it's so hard for us in our mundane lives, dealing with all of the stuff that we deal with and just going through the grind on a day-by-day basis. It's so hard for us to realize that what this is talking about is a real future day. Like, just as, just as real as that you are sitting in this room, just as real as that you're experiencing whatever you are right now, one day you will stand before God Almighty, That's a a powerful thought, isn't it? How much time, the the whole point of this and what I want to get across today in this passage is how much emphasis of your life is in preparation for that day where you stand before Jesus or stand with Jesus presented to the Father. That's an important day. That's the most important day in all of your existence. The day that Jesus presents you to the Father. Let me show you a couple of things about this. First of all, in verse 21, you'll see this. Jesus' plan for our future is first and foremost now, as we begin, that we are to be set free from the past. That we are set free from the past. So in verse number 21, And you, that were sometime alienated and enemies. Now that word sometimes doesn't mean that you were for a while, then you weren't. Then you were, sometimes you were, sometimes you, you weren't. That's not what it means. It means sometime. In other words, there was a past time. There was a certain time in your life that you were a what? An enemy. That you were an enemy. Now, now what, to whom? Who were you an enemy to? I'm going to ask you to just help me out here to think with it. So... Just just see if, see if we can do this together. Who were you an enemy to at some point in your life? To the Lord. This is the fact of our sin nature. The fact is this. Before a person comes to know Christ, if you want to understand basic Christianity, the essence of the Christian message, this is it right now. There was a time there's a time in a person's life, if they do not know Jesus, the existence of their life, the natural existence of their life, a person exists as an enemy of God. Because of God's choice or our choice? Because of our choice. The fact is this, we act out our sinful nature. We act out our sinful tendencies. It's just like when Jesus came. And Jesus lived perfectly. There he was before everybody. And he loved them and he served them. And did all these things for them. And when it came to that crucial moment and Pilate said, what should I do with Jesus? What did everybody say? They said, crucify him. They said, crucify him. And the natural heart of a human being without the Lord Jesus Christ, we don't want to serve God. We want to serve ourselves. If we could, in our natural state, We would take God off of the throne and who would we put there? We would put ourselves there. And so what he's saying is, listen, there was a time in your life, if you're a Christian, don't forget that in your past, there was a time that you were the enemy of God in your sins. You were alienated, you were separated, and you were the enemy of God by wicked works. But now, but now, Your past was lost, but your present is changed because of Jesus. And so what Jesus planned for us is this. It is to set us free from the past. We have been, the word here, the operative word is, we have been reconciled. It means two parties that were once opposed to each other. They have now been brought back into reconciliation. They've been brought together. Jesus made a way for the enemies of God, you and me, to be reconciled to God. How did he do it? Did he do it by telling us the way to live and the way to clean ourselves up and, the, and all of the commandments to keep? That's not how he did it. He did it, verse number 22. If you look at verse number 22, this is how he did it. He did. He reconciled us in the body of his flesh through death. The reason that Jesus died on the cross was to bring that reconciliation. He reconciled us to God by his death on the cross. And the scriptures teach this. If you come to faith in Jesus, if you will believe in what Christ did, who you were in the past, an enemy of God, that person is dead and gone. And who you are now is a child of God. You are the the beloved of God. You are accepted in Christ Jesus because what Christ has done for us. If you say, well, let's just move on. I understand this. I've heard this all before. Well, Paul talks about this a lot. He reminds Christians of this over and over again. Because this is the central reality of who we were. In the past, I was a lost enemy of God. But now in the present, I've been set free from that past. I've been reconciled to God. I am his child. I belong to him. That means this. One of the biggest ways, listen now, one of the biggest ways that the devil, the enemy, will try to get you off course, one of the biggest ways that the devil will try to sidetrack you is he will remind you of who you used to be. He will remind you of how you used to behave. He will remind you of all of the sins that you committed. But Jesus said, I have set you free from all of that. We didn't just clean you up. Jesus didn't just clean you up, he says, but he has made you a new person. You have gone from being the enemy of God to the child of God. And that brings us to the second point, which is this. I have been set free from the past. But secondly, I am secured by Jesus. I am secured by Jesus. Jesus is going to do this. He is going to someday, because I have received him as my Savior, there's a future day where Jesus is going to say, Look, this is my child, Ethan. Put your own name in there. This is my child. And he says he's going to present us how? Holy. And what? Unblameable. Does anybody see a little trouble with that? Anybody see any, any difficulty there? Okay? So let's illustrate it. Adam, you can help me, but you get to be Jesus this time. I won't take that. You would take me and you would present me, all right? So this is the throne room right here. And Adam is bringing me up, okay? He brings me up, okay? And that, now he brings me, and what are you going to say about me? What am I? I stand here. He's unblameable. I'm unblameable. Do you guys know me? Anybody in here know me? Aaron's shaking. He's like, I don't know. Anybody in here? I mean, honestly, some of you haven't known me that long, and you probably think I'm this great guy, you know, but <laughs> stick around a little longer, okay? Just stick around a little longer. So how did you just describe me?
1: For illustration purposes, <laughs>
0: I've been presented unblameable. Except, what could you all do right now? Blame me. Blame me? Of what? You could blame me of all kinds of things, couldn't you? I ever, don't raise your hand, but have I ever offended anybody in here, you know, please don't raise your hands, okay? Let's not do that right now. Have you ever seen me b- behave in not the perfect way? Could you blame me or accuse me of some things? Yes or no? Could you blame me or accuse me of some things? You could. And before you get all smoothie about it, let's switch places here, okay? But he says, I am unblameable, and I am unreprovable. But then the last statement is what? In his sight. And it's almost as if this, don't go away. It's almost as if, here I stand before God. Jesus presents me. Unfortunately, he's a little bit bigger than me right now. So come on in. Stand right here. Turn around. Okay. Now who do you see? You see him, right? And Adam represents who? Jesus. Because in the sight of God, you're you're all set. You did a great job. Because in the sight of God, who does God see? Jesus. Jesus. Because we as Christians are in Christ. We are in him. That's who I am. Now, now that should make me, we're going to talk about this in the second half now, that should make me want to live up to my reputation. Because as God sees me, he sees the righteousness and the perfection and the security of Jesus. He sees who Jesus is. I am secure in Christ. But how hypocritical of it of me, would it be to just go and live in a way that dishonors the name of Jesus? If he sees me as holy and unblameable and unreprovable. Now, that's what Jesus is going to do. Now, some people have said, now we need to go to verse number 23. Verse 23 is a little bit difficult, so I hope you brought your Bible study thinking caps with you today. Because verse 23 is a little bit difficult to interpret sometimes. Why? Because it begins with this word, what? If. Now, this almost seems to make it conditional, right? So it almost seems, well, it does make it, in some sense, conditional. So you could interpret this this way. Well, Jesus is going to present you holy and unblameable if you continue. In other words, there's a possibility that you might what? Not Continue. That's one way of interpreting this passage. There's a lot of problems with interpreting it that way. So I'm going to show you today why that's not the right way to see this. But stick with me. So some people would say, "Oh no, this verse is all about making us worried. Like, what if you know? Like, well, you're going to be presented holy and unblamable if you continue. But if it's up to me to continue, it doesn't. It doesn't really match with the. It doesn't really match with the, the context. Back me up one verse again. Back me up one verse again to verse number uh, number 22. The context here is, this is all because of the body of his flesh through death to present me. What has accomplished the ability to present me? Was it something I did or something Christ did? It's what Jesus did. He gave his body to present me holy and unblameable. It doesn't really make sense now in verse 23 that the focus now all shifts to me. So back to verse number 23, If ye continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel which ye have heard, and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister. So as we think about this, if you continue, we do this in the English language. I'm going to show you something from the English language, then I'm going to show you something from the Greek language as well. Say, why are we looking at the Greek language? If you're not aware, the New Testament was written in Greek. And sometimes the best way to understand something is to go back and look at the original language. So we use the word if in different ways in the English language. Let me give you um, an example. I could say this to my children. You're gonna get ice cream if you behave. You're gonna get ice cream if you behave. That that if puts the whole burden on who? On who? The child. So now the condition is up to them. You're going to get ice cream if you behave. So I'm trying to get them to behave a certain way. Or I could make this statement to my child. I will never stop loving you if, as long as you are my child, if you are my child. Now, is the if dependent on them in that circumstance? It's a rhetorical usage of the word. We use it that way sometimes in English as well. The difficulty here is that in, in English we do not have any way to identify which way we're using the word. But in the Greek language, there were four ways they would use this conditional clause. And if you want to do some, if some of you like to study these things, write this down. There are four classes of conditions. There are four class conditions in Greek. And this is worth your study if you like to, if, if you want to just double check on what I'm telling you here, don't just take my word for it. There are four class conditions. This usage here is the first class condition in Greek. And what it does is it assumes the affirmative for the sake of argument. We don't have a way to communicate this in English except conditionally, except contextually. So in other words, it's, it's, it's like this. It's almost as if what it's saying is if you continue in the faith, and you will, you understand? It's just like, I will, we're going to, I'm going to love you forever if, you might, if you're my child, and you are. It's used to make a rhetorical point for strength of, of emphasis, of emphasis. In fact, it's used another way, and this one is a little bit easier for us to see. If you look at, um, I don't know if we have this on the screen, but if you just move a page or two forward, Colossians 3, verse number one, Colossians 3, verse number one, you see it begins with an if there, Right? If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above. Well, who is he writing to? What type of people is he writing to? Christian people. He's writing to believers. Are they risen with Christ? Yes. Is this if up to them, if you're risen with Christ? No. This is for the sake of argument. If you're risen with Christ, I am risen with Christ, then you'll seek things that are above. It's the same point, the same usage of the word here. I'm going to show you some other scriptures to to help you understand this. So what he's saying to them is this. You are going to be presented faultless before God by Jesus Christ if you continue in the faith, grounded and settled. And he knew something about them. He knew that they would. He knew that they would continue. Because the security and our ability to continue in the faith is not up to us. But our ability to continue in the faith is based on Jesus. Jesus said, my father, John chapter 10, my father gave them to me. And Jesus described us as in his hand. And he said that no man could what? Pluck them out of, out of my hand. And There's a couple other passages, and I'm not sure if you've got these either, but they're on your handout. So look at your, your handout. 1 Peter 1, verse number 5. 1 Peter 1, uh, verse number 5. It describes us as, as who are kept by what? We, we do have it. We are kept by the power of God. Who's keeping us in the faith? Jesus is. We are. God is. We are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. So now, it begs the question, have you ever known somebody, though, who did not continue in the faith? Could you think of someone that you would say, well, wait a minute, but this person didn't continue in the faith. I knew them, they said they were Christian, and they did continue in the faith. So what does this mean about those people that don't continue in the faith? 1 John answers that question. 1 John answers that question. So look at, it says 1 Peter 1, five. that's a mistake. I should have, I, I apologize, I've got a lot of errors on this today. Um, definitely not unblamable when it comes to putting this whole thing together this morning. This is um, 1 John, I think it's chapter. I I forget, but you'll have to take my word for it. It's from somewhere in 1 John. You can look it up. It says, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us, but they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. The point is this, true believers in Christ, if you follow this theme in all the different passages, true believers in Christ will continue in Christ until the very end. True believers will continue, but false believers will eventually what? Fall away. Who is the ultimate example of this in the Bible? Judas. Judas. If you continue grounded and settled, you were being... And this passage in Colossians is not made... I don't believe this, this, the point of this passage is not to put the pressure on us, like, oh, I've got to continue, I've got to do all this continuing, I'm going to keep continuing. No, it began with... It's the, it's the death of Christ. If you are in Christ, if you are truly in Christ, you will continue in the faith, grounded and settled. There's nothing that will move you away from the hope of the gospel. It's the gospel, it's the love of Christ, it's the power of Christ that keeps us until the end. So, what's the most important question, though? The most important question is this Will you continue? You say, Well, how do I know if I'll continue? Are you truly in Christ? Can you say with with certainty, Yes, I am trusting Jesus for my salvation? I've repented of my sin. And my faith is in Christ. How many of you in here have ever doubted your salvation? There's been a time where you're like, I don't know if I'm really saved. I don't know. How could I behave this way? I, I just don't know if I'm really saved. There's one way to know. It's much simpler than people make it. It's so simple. Who are you trusting your soul to? How many of you would say Jesus? Say Jesus right now. Do you believe Jesus is Lord? Yes. Do you really believe that? Yes. If, if you'll confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, and you'll believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, do you believe that he was raised from the dead? Yes. Do you believe that he's Lord? Yes. Okay, y'all just got saved. I'm going to write it in my soul winning books right now, right? We had, you know, 50 people come to know Christ in the service today. That's the measure of true faith. But there, we all know there have always been pretend believers or people that are in it for the wrong reason. They like what the church gives them. They like the relationships they have. And you know, the whole Bible stuff and the Jesus stuff, yeah, okay, I, I guess it's okay. But a true Christian is someone that says, no, my heart belongs to Christ. I'm not perfect, but I'm glad he sees me as if I was perfect. I'm glad the blood of Jesus has washed my sin. This passage is, the, the, what you're going to see is the Colossian church had false believers in it. So what is happening here is he's speaking to the whole church. If you continue in the faith, and the if of the true believers, they're going to continue in the faith. But there were false people in the church that would not continue in the faith. So I hope that you gain assurance through this. That you say, you know what, I am in Christ. It's not up to me. But from a place of assurance, then comes a set of expectations. Did you catch that? From a position of assurance comes a set of expectations. So what do you mean by that? Let me illustrate it this way. I have four children, okay? Many of you are parents, you'll understand this. If in a healthy, and I know there are, there are bad expressions of this, but in, in an ideal, healthy parent-child relationship, can that child do anything to make that parent not love them? I mean, you will see, you will see parents love the most evil, abominable people you've ever, you've ever met in your life. But the, there's a parental love that's there. Now, I have four children. I love all of them and I hope they make the right choices in their life, but if they do not make the right choices in their life, I will still love them. Do I have a set of expectations that I require them to uphold as my children? Of course. It doesn't... You see, the love relationship and the closeness of the relationship are two separate things. I can love somebody deeply, but because of their actions, there's some distance in our relationship. Are you tracking with me on that. This is the life of the Christian. And people people have a hard time balancing this because either they do this. There's one of two extremes. Either they run into they run into like a legalistic trap where they say, "Oh, I just don't know how God just he 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 couldn't love me the way I've been living. He couldn't do any of this." And they just they just their 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 young faith just gets obliterated under guilt and and expectations of trying to earn God's love. How many of you ever been there before? People all over. Like, I just can't, I can't understand that God would love me. I fail him over and over again. And that's soul crushing. Because the fact is this, are any of us ever going to live up to it? No. So if you're in this spot over here, you are, you are going to be in trouble. You're just, you're, your faith is just going to, you're going to struggle and struggle and struggle. But then there's this other reaction. People are like, you know what? Hey man, I am accepted and beloved of the Father, so I can do whatever I want. And they go and they live like the world, and they behave just like the sinful people of the world behave. They do their own thing. They're like, hey, God doesn't care how I live because I am secure in Him. I'm accepted in Christ. Two things can be true at the same time. It's true that you are, because of grace, you are unconditionally accepted in Christ. But from that should flow a life that says, now, Jesus, I want to live as best I can in a way that pleases you, in a way that enables us to be close with each other. If you think of it in terms of relationship, it just makes sense. And the more assurance I have, the more I'm able to run back to Jesus when I get off track. There's an illustration that that Jesus used. It's the story of the prodigal son. That boy went off. If you don't know the story of the prodigal son, look it up. But this kid just disgraced his family name. He lived a terrible life. But one day he said, you know what? I'm going back to who? I'm going back to my dad. And he actually wasn't even exactly sure what his dad would do. But as soon as he got back, what did his father do? He's like, come on. Come on home. And it's a perfect example. That story is not really about the sons, it's about the father, and how, yes, we are unconditionally lived by the love by the Father. But when that prodigal returned, do you think his life was a little bit different after that? Because from acceptance come some expectations. And we are thinking about our future. Our future is totally secure in Christ. Because of Christ. If we are in Christ, we will continue to the end. So now my life should be dedicated to Him. I should align my goals and my ambitions and my desires with the one who has totally accepted me. And from that, Paul gives a great example of this because we've seen that our future in Christ were set free from the past, we're secured by Jesus. But now I want you to see thirdly, that means we all can sacrifice for the gospel. We can make some sacrifices. For the gospel. Look what Paul says in verse 24. He described in the previous verse himself as being a minister. And now he says, Paul says, so you know what I do now? He says, now I rejoice in my what? I rejoice in my sufferings for you. And I fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh. What does that mean? This is just a clever expression that Paul's using. He's saying, and, and I think there's a little bit of hyperbole here, he's saying, apparently Jesus hasn't quite suffered enough, or Jesus hasn't accomplished all his suffering, so I'm filling up whatever was lacking. Paul suffered a lot for his body, for the body of Christ, which is the church. Verse 24, 25, yep. Whereof, I am made a minister. (laughs) Can you imagine? How many of you have seen the cards with those verses? And the the greeting cards, or maybe you've got a plaque in your house. I know the plans that I have for you, says, says the Lord. Have you seen that before? You see that greeting card, or you see that statement or something? I know the plans for you. Well, do you know what Paul, do you know how Paul would have answered that? This is basically what Jesus said to Paul. Paul, I've got a future for your life. Tell me about that future. You are going to suffer and serve. <laughs> that was not on. How many you got a graduation card with that on? Any of the kids got a graduation card with that on it this year? You know, suffer and serve. Now, does God call all of us to, to lives of suffering? Well, we know from history, we know from the church. No, some Christians don't suffer in that kind of way. But Paul was okay with whatever. Paul understood that Jesus' plan for his future did not, did not have all of the things he might have thought it would have. Jesus' plans for the future involved some suffering for Paul and some serving for Paul. But he stayed committed. And he stayed joyful in it. That's what, I was thinking about this yesterday. I, because I, when you read about the, these Christians and these believers of the past, I, I just think I've suffered so little comparatively. So little. And we all have. And I'm not minis, minimizing your suffering. Because how many of you have come to realize whatever people suffer is very real to them? And comparing doesn't always help. Because what somebody's going through is, is that's their difficulty. That's their burden. But at the same time, as we look at that, we think, wow, how much? So it's not the extent of Paul's suffering that, that really gripped me. It was how often he spoke about joy. Like, how could he be so happy knowing that his future was going to involve suffering and service? Because he knew that wasn't his ultimate future. His plan, There was glory waiting for him. Plus, he was just enjoying his gospel mission. He's like, I get to fulfill the word of God. I get to be part of, the, of getting the gospel out. And he describes it in verse 26. Even the mystery, which was hid from ages and from generations. What he means by that is people in the past, my ancestors, they didn't know the full gospel. They knew about the temple and the law and the sacrifices, but it was the rest of it was a mystery. I mean, the Old Testament pointed to Christ, but in a hazy kind of way. How many know what I'm talking about? The Old Testament was hazy in how it predicted Jesus. You know, he's there, but it was kind of clouded. But now the mystery has been blown wide open. And God spoke to mankind in himself, in the person of Jesus. And Paul's like, man... Yes, I'm suffering and I'm serving, I'm sacrificing, but I get to proclaim this amazing mystery. I get to be a minister of the gospel, which is made manifest to his saints. Verse 27, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles. What is it? The mystery is this. Christ where? Not Christ above you. Not Christ ahead of you to follow. Not Christ behind you to push you forward. Not Christ under you to hold you up. But Christ in you. Personally connected with Jesus. That is the mystery of the Christian life. That is the glory of the gospel. That we are brought into oneness with Jesus. The hope of glory. That there is hope in an uncertain world. With unknown, you don't know what the future holds in this life. But you do know that Christ is in you for whatever you face. That Christ is with you for whatever you faced. Christ in you. The hope of glory. I just, it's hard to think sometimes how people face this world and face the future without Jesus. Without Christ in us, the hope of glory. Then Paul says in verse 28, here come some of those expectations. He says this, so this is what I do. This is what I do. I preach about Jesus. I tell everybody about Jesus. And in doing so, I warn every man. I teach every man because someday we want to what? present every man. The mission of the Christian preacher or really the mission of every Christian who's a gospel proclaimer is to warn people. To warn people that if you're not in Christ, there is a judgment day coming. You have an appointment with death. You have an appointment with with your maker. You'll have to give an account for your life. If you're not in Christ, if you are not in Christ, if you die without Jesus, all that awaits you is hell and judgment. And there's a warning that we have to give. And I would give that warning to this audience today. I do not assume, I do not assume that just because you are here today, that you take Jesus seriously. I do not assume that you've truly put your faith in Christ. So there's an important warning that goes out. Do not die without Jesus. Do not live without Jesus. But ultimately, do not die without Christ. There is a warning. And then after that, we teach. We teach each other. Why? Because there's a day where we are going to stand before the Lord. And yes, I am going to be presented Before Christ, remember the illustration with me and Adam at the beginning? I'm going to be presented how? Perfect. But the Bible also talks about the fact that at some point, I will give account for how I lived out that perfection. There is a second judgment seat for Christians. So I stand perfect in Christ Jesus. But there will be a moment where everything I've done will be passed through the fire. And God will say, yes, you are perfect in Christ. Nothing can change your destiny. You are here forever with me in glory. But let's look at what you did with the stewardship of life that I gave you. Let's look at how you lived your life as a Christian. And he told the Corinthian church that we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ to give an account for the things that are done in our bodies. Every man's work is going to pass through the fire. Some will suffer loss and some will receive reward. I want my future. I want my future to be a future of reward in heaven. I don't want to make it to heaven by the skin of my teeth, if you know what I mean. I want, to, I, 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 want to be, I want to say, Lord, yes, you gave me salvation, and here's what I did with that salvation. Here's how you used that salvation. What are your plans for the future? Well, I'm getting ready to stand before Jesus. Could you say that? Could you say, you know what? I'm getting ready to stand before the Lord. I'm making decisions, I'm making plans, I'm arranging my life, getting ready for that ultimate graduation day when I stand before God and give account for my life. What about parents? What about your plans for your kids and your goals for their lives? It's amazing. Parents will they will plan for everything in their kids' lives except the most important thing that one day your kids will stand before God. Oh, but they don't like this and they don't want to do that and it's hard for me to one day you will present them to the Lord. This is what I did with the children you gave me. Well, you should see the curveball he can throw, God. You should see him make a layup. None of those things are going to matter. We are preparing for the day that we stand before Jesus. That is the future. So, I always end with two questions. Don't pack up on me, but two questions to to wrap it up this morning. First of all, are you sure that you will continue to the end? Are you a true believer, or are you a a Christian pretender in our midst today? And I'm not claiming to have any inside information. I don't know. I'm just asking you the question. Is, do you take this seriously? Is your faith truly in Jesus? Maybe you're watching online and you watch some of our messages sometimes and you're just you're kind of keeping Jesus at a distance, trying it out a little bit. There's no trying with, with the Christian life. You either have accepted Christ as your Savior or you have not. So if, if you're not sure, then you need to make sure today. Today, in this, like, this second, you need to say, Jesus, I'm, I'm not going to pretend my faith is in you. 100%, I'm trusting you. I'm not trusting myself. I believe that you died for me. I believe that you rose again. My faith is in you. Would you pray something like that to him right now? Even in your seat, you can just confess. The Bible says, if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, if you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Confess Christ as your Savior. Believe on Him right now so that you will continue in the faith and you'll be presented blameless at the throne of God. So that's the first question. Have you settled your salvation? If you haven't, do it right now. But then the second question is for the person that would say, no, I I am a believer. I have trusted Christ as my Savior. I know that I have. Are you living presentation day? Or are you living for some other goal that you've come up with for your life? This is an opportunity to reset, to refocus, and oh, guess what? To put Jesus first. Put Him first. Let's bow for prayer. Every head bowed, every eye closed. And this is a time for each of us to examine our hearts. Christians, if you need to put Jesus first, back where He belongs, if you need to put Him first... Take this moment and quietly pray. Ask God, ask God to speak to your heart. Confess whatever sin, reestablish that connection. But if you're here and you'd say, I'm not sure, I'm not sure that I've put my trust in Christ and, and you're still waffling, right now make the decision to believe on Jesus. I'll lead you in a prayer. If you're ready in this moment to put your faith in Christ, you can pray something like this. You can say, dear God, I do know that I am a sinner, but I believe, Jesus, that you died for me. Jesus, I believe that you rose from the dead, and I believe you are the only way to be saved. Please save me. I put my trust in you and you alone. Right here, right now, pray that to Christ. Put your faith in him. If you have questions, please let me know after the service. Send a message online, whatever. But settle that most important thing. Be sure that heaven is your home. Let's spend just a minute in quiet prayer as we ask God to just speak to each heart, each of our hearts, in a personal way. Let's just have a quiet moment with the Lord right now. Father, we thank you so much
1: for your word. We thank you for the challenge this morning. God, I pray if someone in here doesn't know you as their savior that today would be the day that they would put their faith in you god i pray that you challenge us as believers to continue lord in our faith lord to live lives that honor and glorify you strengthen us help us to remain steadfast unmovable and always abounding in jesus name amen we are so glad that you've taken the time to join us today if you've been blessed by the message, or if you have placed your faith in Jesus today, we want to hear from you. Maybe you still have questions about what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus. Please let us know, and we would love to answer those questions from the Bible. We would also be happy to provide you with the Bible and other free Christian resources to help you grow in your faith. You can email us at info at or send us a message on Facebook you could also call us at 413 662 2107. We would love to hear from you, and our desire is to be a blessing to you in any way that we can. God bless.